This is episode 32, Artists and Healers. When we were born, we knew things. When we were born, we knew things. Connection was our start point. My beauty My beauty is inherited from everything around me and it's generated from everything inside of me. I move like a silky on the night sea in order to reach home over and over an endless journey with multiple stop points the place between sea and sky is my home the place between sea and sky is my home As I disembark on this journey, I gain new wisdom, remember old knowledge, seed new relationships, and weave new life. Through my bones, through my bones, and the voice of my body. This body has known things since before my time. This body has known things since before my time. This soul is the water This soul is the land. This soul is the wind. It is the wind. And the mountains open up. This soul feels the cracks. It feels the cracks and knows It is time to come home. Claire, welcome to the Language of Creativity podcast. Thank you, Stephen. So glad to have you here. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to be here. Oh my gosh. We were talking a little bit before the episode about impending life changes, and then I was listening to your poem and your sound healing, and it gave me goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think you have your answer. <laughs> uh, well, you might have to elaborate on that. 
<laughs> but it definitely changes things. Wind. Oh well, yeah, I am the wind. I am the soul. Exactly. Has to make new connections. Yeah. Cool. Well, skip ahead to the beginning again. <laughs> skip ahead to the beginning. Claire is a sound healer an energy worker, and also a polymath. We've done a little bit of talking as we met through the Buckminster Fuller Institute and the Design Science Studio. Well, to a degree. So I'm not in their program through various serendipities, of course, Yeah. when they were doing their, uh, I believe it's an annual vision train that two people initiated and host. A friend of mine called Mark Smith he himself as an artist, he kind of brought me into it. And before I knew it, I was all over the place offering <laughs> presentations and um, conversations, really, and sound healings mm. into this dynamic group of people who have been studying at the Buckminster Fuller Institute for, I believe it's a little under a year is the length of the program, if I'm remembering that right. How did you find the Buckminster Fuller Institute? So really to find the beginning of anything is always an interesting challenge because once you start looking at the threads that are weaving, it's like, well, which thread do I speak to first? Mm. So I've lived in the Bay Area for a long time, the San Francisco Bay Area, 30 years. And I'm very close to the Buckminster Fuller Institute and I have had conversations with Amanda Ravenhill who was one of the people holding holding it, really, until quite recently, I mm -hmm. believe. Um, and because the Bay is so rife with innovation and innovative thinking, especially around healing social systems mm. and expanding our consciousness, um, I can't help but meet interesting, interesting people all the time mm -hmm. uh, and having these great, great conversations. So I had already a relationship with her and and thereby with the Institute. And in another trajectory, I had seen a, a solo performance that someone did as Buckminster Fuller. Oh. At a place called The Cell in San Francisco. I have no idea if it still exists even. Mm -hmm. So there was that. Plus, um, after a number of years of doing an undergrad in sort of fine art and humanities, I ended up at CIIS mm. and California Institute, the California Institute Integrative Studies. Yeah. Integral. 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 Yeah. Integral studies. And during that year long program where you can basically validate your life by getting, uh, turning it into coherent stories and thereby getting credits for it. Um, you people like myself who tend to butterfly around could actually mm. finish their degrees. And that's what I was doing oh, there. That's brilliant. It is brilliant. That's brilliant. It's a wonderful program. My sister could have used that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that a lot of people really don't know. Like, yeah. but I want to do multiple things. Exactly. Exactly. And, and there's not enough of that in the world validating us. So yeah. I'm or, I'm already going off on a trajectory. That's okay. This is my show and it's all about tangenting. <laughs> and then they'll all weave together and everybody will be like, Pew. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> there's two of us now in the same room. So yeah. just warning, oh. warning alert, you know, fractal there's going to be tangent. Fractal alert. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> so where I was going to go was uh, straight into critiquing, um, maybe even attacking um, the way our social systems uh, are organized because they're not based on living systems awareness. And that means right. that as human beings, we are not in our living systemness invited to be the whole of who we are. We're asked to separate elements of ourselves out. Yes. Right. And then just show up as a little rational being and only a little rational being. And God forbid we bring in the sensory, the emotional, the intuitive. And depending on which culture you grow up in and within that culture, which gender you are, what class you are, how you speak, like all these different things affect your hierarchy. Mm. And thereby the, the, audibility of your own voice. Yes. And that bothers me a lot. Yeah. I just think about the divide between thinker and feeler. It's like we're with this bifurcation in our society of mm-hmm. you know, this, this rationalism that's brought us very good things. But I remember specifically when my sister was at the age where you go to college and she hated school. And it was this whole thing of like, she had worked herself into a pretzel about oh, but I should go to school, but I I hate school and I've got to do, maybe I'll do fashion, you know, this whole thing. And it was like, having gone through this myself in a different version of it, I was able to really sense that the issue was, okay, you're a person who really validates your direction through how you feel about it. And that's super Mm. important to acknowledge. So when I acknowledged that for her, it was like it let the air out of the balloon and suddenly it was like, okay, there's enough peace to decide where as long as there was this like cloud of rational thought that, well, this and this because that, and it was like just this tail chasing that was occurring because she's not naturally native to the rationalist part of operating. And I totally, I completely Left brain, understand. right brain. And you and I yeah. have talked about this. You and I are both like balanced left brain, right brain. So the conversation we've had just been wild because it's like, oh, and this, oh, and this, and, oh, and you know, yes. like, but it goes from like scientific thought to like spirituality and in a way that's so holistic and integrative, exactly what you were talking about of that idea of like, we've learned in society to separate out certain kinds of like I had to look up the Institute that you studied at and it was all about trying to bring in disciplines that could talk to each other. And yeah, I feel like that's what's missing in our society is everything is so like, Oh, well let's just study the brain and Oh, let's just study the circulatory system and Oh, let's, well, maybe what you eat affects how your circulation's working, which affects if your brain's getting enough oxygen because they're all a part of one human body, right? Yeah, well, and the thing that that feeds into for me, uh, ironic use of the word feed because of what I'm about to say, is when I listen to NPR, the public radio station, right, when I'm in the car, and which is the only time I listen to the radio, really, and they're talking about cuts to food at schools. Hmm. And there, there's such an obsession around this idea that people are meant to work for things that what's not taken into account is the systemic nature of being healthy and being able to learn. So if, right. if your brain, your brain and your body all develop based on the quality and amount of food you have access to, 
Yeah, if your brain is hungry and calorie starved, it's in survival mode. And it's not yeah. in the part where we learn things about mathematics. It's like, where am I going to get my next meal? And I better cut off the most energy hungry part of the body is the brain. So let's right. not operate the brain so much so the rest of us can survive so the brain doesn't die. Yeah, it's, it's it's exactly, I mean, if you wanted to look at it from a rationalist perspective, it's highly irrational to think it, that it you is. could cut that off. But for some reason, it's there is this idea of like worth coming from hard work and this ignoring of, well, that's not the child's fault if the parents are in a circumstance where they can't provide for the child. And ultimately, I love the study that has to do with, well, first of all, my wife's a teacher, so absolutely 100% everything that you were talking about. And there was this study, and I think it was in Freakonomics, where they were talking about how they did the math on childhood preschool and conservatives were backing it because financially, fiscally, it's cheaper than incarceration 18 years down the line. It is more economical for society to provide opportunities for children at a developmentally crucial stage, scientifically proven, yeah. than to let everybody just sort for themselves. And then you end up dealing with incarceration, healthcare issues, on and on and on impacts to society that are a net drain on the economic side. If you wanted to just make it a purely numbers-based thing, which it's not. It isn't. I, um, I've i been so bothered by the choices that I see us making as a species, and I have been for so many years, that I ended up trying to understand it because I really wanted to understand what's happening. Why are we doing these things to the environment? Why, why are we okay with slavery of any kind, violence of any kind, violence that seems to be ramping up, if anything, Mm -hmm. And what is it? What's perpetuating that? So I wanted to understand that question. And so that whole exploration ended up being what's called dynamic emergence. And mm -hmm. I wanted to understand the basis of irrationality, really, because yeah. my thought was if, if, and we have to, I think, add if in, in our questions, if we want to survive if that's an imperative drive within humans, then why would we be behaving in ways that threaten that? So obviously threatening the planet, which is our sustenance and source of survival, would it would be irrational to, to kill and destroy the planet's ability to sustain us. It'd be and like burning your own house down. Exactly. And exactly. like sitting inside of it to see what happens. Like <laughs> who would do that? Or not even, not wish. even looking, not even yeah. looking at the house that's burning because uh -huh. you're counting money. Right. I mean, oh, typically like, that's where the attention is on money. Right. And, and even people with a lot of money by comparison to others are still living beyond or at the edge of what's affordable. So they make financial commitments that mean that they feel poor. Right, right. So that's that's a thought that I hadn't had. Someone someone else introduced that to me who lives in Marin where there is a lot of wealth. Mm. And I live in the East Bay of San Francisco where there's a lot more political activism really for social equity and mm. equality. But the thing I wanted to share specifically um was that I in trying to understand irrational irrationality around survival, so this existential situation that we're in, 
What I discovered is that if you look at ways of knowing as being either rational, emotional, or sensory, Mm. and then, of course, that's all housed in this lovely not knowing, being very, very um, open to listening and imbibing information from larger spheres of reality, uh, including intuition as the gateway for that communication, that, in fact, there's a law and it's called the inversion theory. And the law states, funny. I was going to ask you about this. This is one of my favorite quotes that I (laughs) discovered from you. Yeah. But if, if any one way of being either rational, emotional, or sensory is not in balance or informed by the other two, it will and does become the inverse of itself. So if you think about it, you have to kind of deconstruct that a little bit. But if you think about it, so if we're behaving irrationally, that suggests that the rational is not, in fact, being supported by sensory or emotional. Well, I'd like to back up for a second because sure. you're you're laying out the groundwork of this dynamic emergence that you've authored. And what I understand is that the rational, the emotional, and the sensory, those three things all exist within one body, within one yes. person. Yes. And so and the thing that I understood from your talk was that every person has a bias toward one of them. Yeah, I think so. So I'm an emotional bias. And maybe my brother is a rational bias. That's what we were talking about earlier with that sort of dichotomy between the two. But actually, there's a third, and it's sensory. Yes. Exactly. So that's why some people work better in, with their hands outdoors. Right. And, you know, they do or in, in the office. healing arts. Or, ex- right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Because it's not just physical. It's also about the capacity to um, translate subtle energy. Yeah. So the bias in innately is not bad. Every human has it. The point is that when the bias becomes so pronounced, you said when one way of knowing becomes isolated and no longer informed by the others, by Mm -hmm. the other two, at its most extreme... It becomes the inverse or the opposite of itself. So rationality actually becomes irrational. Yes. And so that made me think of our society's situation with masculinity. Oh. For example, in terms of archetypes, right? To protect becomes to impose. Ooh. Strength becomes fragility and easily offended. So people who are people who have become strong, you know, their egos are hurt so easily by something that a real strong person, it wouldn't matter what someone said, they know who they are. And so, you know, that's just one example of something becoming its opposite. I'm really excited to hear you do an example because it's like, oh my God, he's taking it in and he's thinking about it and applying it and seeing how, if and how it makes sense. So it's such a treat (laughs) to hear it travel. Something else is that when you said, why would people want violence or slavery? The truth is not very many people actually want violence or slavery. I'm not going to say there aren't people who would get very excited about, I get to go bash it up, right? You know, but that's, that's not what I'm talking about. What I think is, is it's exactly like you said, when it becomes irrational, 
It's like the book Predictably Irrational. I forget the author, but there's a book, you know, you can pretty much look at these scenarios and these situations and these confluences of events that make, mm. that make you could predict what's going to happen in human behavior when these conditions are true. So here you are with inversion theory laying out a really important truth for our time, which is that when something gets to an extreme, it's now the inverse of itself and it's creating the opposite of what we desire. So sometimes a desire for security creates scarcity. Uh, you're right. Like there yeah. was this church that we were visiting and their attendance is down. And so what they did was they started visioning, okay, what do we want to do as a church? How do we want to thrive as a church? And in thriving, it's going to attract more people, which is going to bring in more resources and it's going to bring a healthier community. But as long as everybody goes into penny pinching and okay, yeah. can we shut the air conditioner off? Well, nobody's going to come if you shut the air conditioner off, <laughs> if you live somewhere that's hot. <laughs> You know, and it is, it's, I think that's the, that's what drew me to the Buckminster Fuller Institute was that mm. kind of thinking. When I heard the quote, and you can say the quote better than I do, so please correct me, but Buckminster Fuller himself said that you don't change mm. old systems by fighting against them. You create new systems that make the old ones obsolete. That sounds accurate to me. And another way that he may have said that too at another time, perhaps, is that just create a better party that yeah. people will want to come to. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, we're not going to limit transportation and people's desires as humans to move around, but if we make better transportation and it's also better for the world and the society and the planet, then what are people going to use? I mean, it's still got to be practical. It's still got to be something attractive to people. And when those things come out, they change society. I mean, suddenly, and, you know, it does sometimes take these mass events for these things to get adopted, you know, like COVID and Zoom. I mean, we're able to do this. We didn't have to get on an airplane to have this talk. And I'm actually kind of cool with that. I really like doing them in person, though. So it's like, that's, yeah. not, that's never going to replace our need for, for in-person community. But maybe it's also going to help us appreciate the need for in-person community. And we're going to find also, in addition to Zoom and what you and I are doing and how we're sharing this with the world through a podcast, we might actually also then acknowledge the need for human connection and go to that in-person sound healing event that you have or, you know, have our neighbors over or start to forge these communities, but we're able to pollinate the values and the vision that we're sharing and bring that yeah. into our own gatherings and our own in-person and, and also the, the who we're being. You also talk about with dynamic emergence, how when two things, when two people get into a room together, they're fields affect one another yes. and they, they yeah. talk, they talk together. They, they create a new, it's like when you did your thing at the beginning that we listened to the, the mountains breathe, mountains breathe, yeah. you know, you got your root note on your hurdy gurdy or what you your It does yeah, sound, I love the hurdy gurdy. So you got the root and then you're playing that six, yeah. uh, you know, and it, it's, it's like, if I just sing that people think <laughs> that's the root, but if I go, Hmm, uh, then all of a sudden it creates, the, it's the difference between those two notes. Mm. It creates a whole vibe. It creates a feeling. It creates a, it, it creates a pattern. And that pattern, if I start a song with, mm, uh, it's going to immediately feel a certain way. The rest of the song is set up like to say something. 
Yeah. Sounds like that. Yeah. But if, if, you know, if I start with a major third, you know, mm, uh, you know, or was that a fourth? Uh, Seemingly major third. Actually, it was a fifth. A fifth? Yeah. Yeah. So I start with something more open, you know, the possibilities are open. You know, it's the same thing when we come at world problems with, you know, frustration and, oh, this is, you know, it's a deadlock and nothing's going to happen. And I think that's, I, that's a message that I want the world to know is that we can't solve the problems at the level of frustration yes. and deadlock and this is never going to work and we're all doomed and all, that is just not, I mean, you know, so what if we're doomed? We're actually not, you know, if we could actually find, if we could find the collective togetherness to do something, if we could find a way around. And that's what I love about that quote from Bucky. If yeah. you can literally don't don't spend 10 months being stuck in something that you know isn't working like right start fresh start with something new better envision the world you want and use that energy of positivity and that thought form of this is vibrating with what we really want to create because that is ultimately affecting those three things. It's affecting hmm. what you called the, what was the layer around the three sense? Well, it's, uh, it can emotion. be called the not knowing. Um, mm-hmm. And um, Arjuna. So a priest I know who is both Buddhist and Christian, he, he talks about the Arjuna, the third eye, and when he saw, here's a funny story. So those maps, the mind map of, of you or I, there are these three circles, right? Rational, emotional, and sensory. And then there's this circle that they, they spheres that, that they sit inside, which is the not knowing. And then outside of that is another circle. So lots of circles. And the, that circle kind of has this dotted line around it. And the dotted line is a reference to I, for interface, so otherwise known as the ego in psychological talk. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, there was this circle that I didn't know the name of, and and I showed this work to his name's Father Richard, and I showed him one of the maps because he loves to deconstruct things. And and he lo- he looked at the knowing, rational, emotional, sensory, and this all comes from Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences, simplified kind of smushed together in what I consider to be perhaps reasonable reference points. This is not Richard Rohr, is it? No. Different Richard. Okay. No. Mapplebeck Palmer, Mm. in case he doesn't mind his name being said. (laughs) Um, But he looked at this circle that didn't have a name and he wasn't really referring to it specifically, but when I was leaving, he said, oh, don't forget the not knowing. And Mm. for me, suddenly all these things landed and I realized that this circle that had been there nameless for over a year, I knew it belonged there, but I didn't know what its function was. So I just left it there, hmm. trusting that at some point that would make sense to me. And then he, he and this is the thing, you see, dynamic emergence uh, is, is described as the phenomena of novelty arising when two or more elements meet, novelty hmm. arising. And so because he and I were interfacing, right, and so we're having this lovely conversation, he said that in my presence, and no one else might have thought of it, but he did. And because I was hearing him, I could suddenly join these dots, and and, and it's like this piece of the puzzle just landed in front of me and presented itself. Yeah, 
That's why I love having these conversations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like there's a part of you that was already there because mm -hmm. you knew that there was a circle, but you were just missing the specificity of it. Yeah. And here's this person who you might, I mean, you probably know him, but you, so you might only meet someone once, but they yes. might yeah. catalyze something. Absolutely. You, you don't have to know each other. You're right. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to know each other for that spark of inspiration or understanding to suddenly kind of reorient and make sense. And then yes. you're off and running. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. And that's what humanity's emerging intelligence is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now we have the internet where it's like these conversations have multiplied and where you may not have found anyone to talk about this kind of stuff in your small town. Now you can connect to a podcast where, oh my gosh, there are other people who are like wondering the same, not knowing things that I am, but I yes. have a feeling that there's some, there's a circle there. I just don't know what to call it. And then you, it's like these aha moments of like, you know, connecting with something that's just yeah. been there all along, but you didn't know how to put it into words. I think there's something very beautiful about, and I, I speak really as a healer and as a musician when I say this, about being able to listen with our senses, to listen with our intuition, and to really be very open and available. And in that sort of um, gentleness, I think, new things can present. And I think sometimes we're so busy that we can be utterly focused on a destination. And in order to be efficient, we'll shut all the doors on the corridor to yeah. get there. And in fact, when I used to teach at San Francisco State, I used to teach creativity and innovation. Oh, cool. To, yeah. To, I was in the College of Business, which is a bizarre place for me to have landed, really, <laughs> with my background. Um, but there I was, and I was teaching creativity and innovation to students on the management track. And one of the first things I would get them to do, I loved turning everything on its head with them, especially because they had just been told, jump through this hoop, now jump through this hoop. And all they <laughs> wanted to know was how high and how often in order to get the A that I think Give I deserve. Give me a formula. Yeah, they wanted a formula. And so some part of me <laughs> just likes to kind of mess with things like that. Um, and shake it up and see what happens. How does it land? You know, like the snow snow glow? Is that what it's called? The the circular things you shake? Right. Yeah. So what I would do is get them to come outside because we had a lovely green campus, uh, literally green with lawn. And, and, and it had pathways that crisscrossed uh -huh. to all the different buildings that, that were there for their studies. And so people typically were just, racing down these pathways, head down, books under their arm, going to their next class. And what I had them do was take off their socks and shoes if they're willing mm. and to walk, do the walking meditation that Thich Nhat Hanh mm -hmm. made so well known around the mm. world. And their only job was to notice what they noticed. Mm. That was it. And then, so I, I made them do that <laughs> for 20 minutes. And they were like, 20 minutes? And then the instruction was, when I'll wave at you to come back. And no one is to talk, right, during this whole time, no talking. Then come back into the classroom and just write anything. Write what you noticed. Write what's in you right now, how you're feeling, how, mm. you know, your, your personal space, anything at all. And then we'll talk about it. 
And so we used to start every semester with that. And oftentimes that ended being one of the the favorite things that they did. But the thing that the most of them noticed was how busy everyone else was. Oh, yeah. They were like, gosh, everyone was just like rushing and no one was noticing. And what they noticed was the birdsong, the sky, the trees, the feel of the grass underfoot. It all slowed down. They had to walk very slowly. Mm-hmm. Heel to toe, heel to toe. Well, because your feet aren't used to walking on bare. I know. Or bare. And some of them were kind of freaked out at the idea. Yeah. Oh, it freaks me out. Like I, I try <laughs> earth every once in a while now. And I kind of have to stand in one place because my feet are so sensitive. You know. It's. <laughs> yeah. But we've had this layer of rubber underneath us between the earth, and so we're desensitized in a sense. Yes. We're, we're also sheltered in so many ways. We don't have to deal with the elements. Like in California, we don't even really know the seasons. Uh, yeah, I know. I miss the seasons. I really do. I, I look forward to some indication, but it's not as exaggerated as it is on the East Coast or perhaps further into Europe as well. I had a funny thing happen. So just to ground in, you know, okay, hypothetical business student. Oh, what a, you know, some people might say, what a waste of time. Why do you have to know this? You know, oh, they're all just going to go off and be hippies now and not actually run businesses. Well, I have a perfect example. Yesterday I had gone swimming and I had to fill up the pool with a little bit of water. And so I put the hose in and started filling it up and I forgot to set a timer because I was busy, like trying to prep for our interview today. Oh. And so I went and I, you know, cause, cause I have my son at home. So I'm working from home and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And you know, before the, and then the kids got home they wanted to play. And then my daughter wanted to go to the park and my son. So I like kind of got caught up in all that. And then I came, I came back. I was like, Oh, I got to finish more work. And I was like, no, I don't like, I don't need to push so hard. So anyway, so then I'm in a meeting with Stephen Bauer doing the artist way. And um, my wife comes in and she's like, did you leave the pool water on? How long has it? And I was like, oh no, it seems like, do you have to go? And like, yes. And I went outside and the pool had been on. I am so embarrassed. We're in the height of the water crisis. The pool had been on for like four hours. And there was water coming off the top and it was like, it it was this disaster. And it was just this one little oversight, honest mistake with huge consequences. Like our water bill for one thing is probably the least of it, right? We're in this huge drought right now. It's just so, uh, like I want to beat myself up over it. But the example of, yeah, I let myself go for that moment. It's okay. I need to get in the cold pool and just kind of like chill myself out. So I was trying to kind of get into that space, but I I was just still like, no, I got to, you know, there's so much I got to do and, you mm-hmm. know, stuff's next week. I got to be ready for next week. And, you know, and, and because I wasn't present, because I didn't slow down, even that little bit of rushing through things led to an oversight that if this were a company that would have had major fiscal ramifications if money is your only metric, right? So mm-hmm. from a business school yep. perspective, the leaders who meditate have a superpower. Yeah. You can handle stress better. You can handle conflict <laughs> with more grace. You can observe the room and find out, you know, sometimes it's not about the amount of words you use. Sometimes it's about picking the right moment to use the same words in a shorter amount. And if you're present and you're clear, if you're clear mind, you know, if you let that pond settle so you can see to the bottom, 
that's what that's talking about. And so you're talking about embodying the senses in this way that sort of reawakens us to something that humanity has been missing in the modern era because we wear yeah. shoes and live in buildings. <laughs> well, and, and I think and all, all of that keeps us traveling up to our head. Yeah. And, and, and then the head, poor head, thinks it's got to figure everything out. So, you know, when that happens to me and I start getting really heady, funny, my name, my surname is Hedeen, um, that I, I lose my sense of humor. I, I lose my sense of pace. And I also lose my connection to the things that uh, relax me, you know, mm. and I forget, I forget to be creative. I mm -hmm. forget to perhaps journal. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget to go walking. And I walk a lot because mm. that's what helps me ground and it fills my heart and it, it just fills me with peace and happiness. Mm. But I forget all these things that are good for me because I get like these blinkers on, like a horse mm -hmm. with blinkers. And and it's all about decisions. And I that's a horrible place for me. Literally, I'm not, I yeah. forget to breathe. I know. Like I, know. I find myself like I and you know like someone will just like look over, grab my shoulder, and squeeze, it and say, "Hey, breathe." Like, <laughs> I know. but I'm too much in my head. And and I, ironically, you cut the oxygen off from your brain, and your brain is narrowing its focus, going into survival, and making less holistic decisions. Very myopic thinking is occurring when you're. Yeah, and it, everything accelerates, so it gets tighter. It's like coils that just are winding tighter and tighter and tighter. And from our physiology perspective, that's a horrible stress situation that creates a lot of heat. You know, I every time I've ever gone to see a particular acupuncturist, every time he's like, your whole system's too hot. It's too hot. Mm. Relax. He's just got he's got this lovely voice. Relax, relax, relax your mind. And then there's this lovely soft, gentle water sounds playing in the room mm. very quietly. And I have to quiet down to hear them. Mm. And then I leave and everything's kind of just chill and relaxed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it takes like half an hour. There are so many ways to do that, to do the relaxing. You know, and for me, one of them is singing. Mm -hmm. That that makes me feel good. But it's also, there's a physiology to that too, right? Because when you sing, you bring in, you generate more activity in your bloodstream. Yeah. Part of my spiritual practice has been learning from energy aware people just simply to re-embody. Yeah. And so like right now I'm realizing, oh, I need to become more aware of my feet because mm. I've been sitting. So like I was sitting on my leg and now my feet, like I need to actually pretend that I can bring my consciousness into my feet and yeah. just sort of like, oh yeah, I have feet. You know, somehow like yes. at the time I'm living up here, like I know. From, from the top of my chest to like above my head just a little bit. Or sometimes if it's really bad, it's just above the eyebrows and only there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, it's a practice and you can say what you want about metaphysical things, but even just the process of bringing your attention somewhere in your body creates a result and it could be just as well all in your head, which I don't believe it is because I've worked with energy, but it actually creates a physiological impact. Just the process of like, I'll say, you know, okay, everyone listening right now, bring your awareness into your hands. 
Feel your fingertips mm-hmm. and your palms, wiggle your fingers. Okay, so now suddenly, you know, your awareness is going all the way through your arms and into your fingers and like, okay, so now put your hands out in front of you and bring that awareness in between your hands. And you can sort of imagine that you can see this mm-hmm. ball of energy between your hands and you can sort of like, okay, now like, okay, so now move the energy up your arm, down your shoulder, and let's bring it down into your belly. And just breathe and feel. And then you can bring it down into your feet. And so wherever you focus your attention, that's where your energy is going. That's where your thought is going. And so in your sensory awareness, as you were putting it, your sensory, now you're aware of your sensory body, Mm -hmm. that sensory side. So if you're a person who happens to live in the rational lot, it's beneficial to go into the sensory. And maybe if you're really, 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 really rational, that exercise I just did made no sense to you because you're not connected to your body and you need to go outside, take your shoes off and stand in some grass Yeah, and maybe walk around very slowly in some grass until it starts to prickle your toes. And then you'll be like, okay, I'm having an experience. You know, it depends. I happen to be someone who's always been very highly sensitive. So uh, we're just talking about this with another guest. I'm the person who as a kid had to get the socks without the seams in them because I would feel (laughs) like the little seams would bother me. Everything's like hyper aware all the time. So imagine a hyper aware person that feels everything, you know, also becoming stuck in my head. So now I'm really dysregulated because my body's screaming at me like, ah, all the things are it's too loud and too scratchy and too yeah. all these things. And I'm not listening to them. So I had a teacher who literally said to me, what is your body telling you? Answer the phone. So, you know, if you're feeling oh, a sensation or whatever, like pick up the yeah. phone. Okay. What is that telling me? Ah, my, my feet hurt. Oh yeah. I'm been sitting. Or, you know, I've been walking too much or like, oh, like my, my back, I have pain in my back. Well, I'm actually kind of uncomfortable with this topic of conversation because I feel exposed. And so part of me wants to like pull in and everything's tight. You know, it's, it's literally that simple. Mm. And it's changed my life to practice awareness of embodiment and the interaction between the energies. Like when I get in a room with someone, I'm so sensitive that I feel that like dynamic as soon as they enter the room. Yeah. Uh, and that's just been my lived reality for a long time. And people might say, oh, that's pretend or that's made up or whatever. Okay, this is my lived experience. And so when I came in contact with people who were talking about energy and vibration and all those things, it finally gave a language to my lived experience. I'm like, oh, this is what this feels like being me. And more importantly, as someone who always notices lots of things like that, it actually gave me permission to say, oh, this thing I'm feeling, is this coming from inside me? Or is this coming from the experiencing of what's around me? Exactly. These are very important questions. And then I didn't feel crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because all of a sudden I could go, oh, well, that person that just walked in, they have really crappy energy and I don't like to be around that. And then, you know, sure enough, like a minute later, they start arguing with the barista, you know, like, and you're like, oh, wow, that's what? Oh, okay. And then you go, well, no wonder I didn't want to like interact with that. No wonder I kind of wanted to leave, you know, because there was about to be an altercation. 
of some kind and there's conflict and, you know, I'm actually really triggered by conflict. So that's the part I get to work through. Like, you know, maybe I should be a little less triggered by, you know, someone arguing with the barista over whether there's enough foam, you know, I mean, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, okay. Get, you know, not, not the end of the world, but when you're sensitive to everything and you're emotionally, um, biased, like mm-hmm. I am, you know, everything feels like everything feels like, you know, and yes. Yeah. I love the way you describe that. I just major tangent, but that's actually. No, but I mean, what it brings up for me, you saying that it just reminds me that we are an emergent phenomena, each of us. So there are two tenets in dynamic emergence. The first one is that nothing is fixed. So nothing, think about that. Nothing is fixed. Everything is always somehow in motion. Even Hmm. decomposition and decay is motion. Hmm. And then the second is that energy waits to be noticed. And I mean, that's life, all of it. Just those two tenets really comment on how noticing what we're experiencing, how we're coming to something, coming toward a conversation or a moment is going to affect what's possible next, what will happen next. So mm. there's there's this interplay, as you mentioned earlier, an interplay of energies. And by the way, those energies include a lot more than what we reference as ourselves, because the mm. energy includes ancestral energy, it includes our spiritual energy. It, if you believe in karma, it includes karma. Mm. If you don't believe in karma, it includes karma. <laughs> <laughs> I've met some spiritual people who don't believe in karma too. <laughs> that's fine. But that that's more of our mental stuff, right? What I choose to believe in is just what I choose to believe in. That that has its own inbuilt logic. So it can only prove what it's willing to prove in a way. Um and I think we have to let our minds become a little more interesting to us to let them tentacle out into other ways of knowing and being. 100%. And I don't want to delve into the analogy of quantum physics because people have started to resent the parallels that spiritually minded people are trying to draw between multidimensional quantum physics, but Uh you can talk about multidimensionality insofar as that there are other dimensions that are affecting us right now. Uh For example, Someone texted you this morning or yesterday in the recent history and said something that you still need to respond to. Okay, I just brought your mind to a whole other reality that's on a piece of plastic that has a bunch of electronics in it that's working through a cellular network and that person's not even in your physical proximity. But now there's probably some sort of emotion arising in your body. And it's affecting your lived reality in this moment. You're no longer present with the conversation. You are now in two places. That's multidimensionality. Well, yeah, you know, uh, one of my favorites to watch, I used to watch all the Brian Green videos. I love them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll put them in the show notes. You know, there are certain people when they talk, something changes. And and it's beyond the words. And I would say Alan Watts, Brian yes. Green, Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Um, obviously, Bucky Fuller. Um, who else? There's something about the envelope of the voice itself that brings with it an acceptance of the larger, larger larger-ness 
of mm. life. Mm. And and it's kind of the opposite of, of hubris. You know, it's very, very much sitting at the feet of, you know, can you imagine meeting, for instance, perhaps Buddha or Jesus as people and just being mm. in their atmosphere? Mm-hmm. Oh, Sir George Trevelyan was another one. He was British. But yeah, there, some people, uh, this is, comes back to the poem. When we were born, we knew things. When yeah. we were born, we knew things. And my body knows, like, I forget how it was worded, but something about my body knows things since be- from before its time. Yes. And so sometimes we can say stuff that doesn't make sense logically, mm-hmm. but we understand that it's coming from a place of wisdom. We yes. know it. We know it. It's resonant of who it we are. It feels right. It feels yeah. true. It feels absolutely one hundred percent. Yeah. Well, in in not only that, but you were talking about the system that supersedes all the other systems, and then all these systems affect each other, and they're all connected. And yeah. that was what Stephen Bow and I were talking about when he was mentioning the holobiont, right? So you know, there's no system that there's no car that doesn't exist in a system of roads. It doesn't do its function without it, you know, and there's no car without a system of gasoline or energy to put in the car. There's no transportation. And Mm -hmm. so it's the same thing. There's no humanity without a planet to live on or some sort of environment to. And as a species, we're not just existing in a planet. We're existing in a planet with other beings, Uh other animals and insects and plants. And those are essential for our own thriving. If you got rid of all the trees, there would be no oxygen. And so these systems are within systems and they're interconnected in ways that ripple, you know, the butterfly effect or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to understand that you're not just you. It's right. I'm a collective. You're a collective. Each of us is a collective. On many, many levels and scales. Yes, like I am, you talk about ancestry. I am the inherited knowledge of all my ancestors and what they left behind for me and the genetics imprint that makes me predisposed to success and failure within my own organism, you know, and those are things that if you just want to look at it from that level, but I'm also the inherited social beliefs of all my family systems and everything that's gotten passed down from about three to four generations. Mm -hmm. And people that I've never even met are influencing who I am as a human, um, who I am as a as in the society and how I see myself and how I act and behave and how what my fears are and what my inherited story is. Let's not even talk about, you know, racial or transpersonal in that sense, even if you're just looking at a family of, you know, family tree, you know, yeah. there are so many different nested systems within. And so therefore, not only am I not just me, but I'm also not just me because I cannot exist or thrive as a human without other friends and other people who are farming and making food and, you know, also people in my community who I meet every day. And those people like, you know, you, I think you said in your interview, be very careful who your friends are because <laughs> those are the people who are going to become a part of your field. Yeah. That's why that's true because we cannot help but react or respond to the people who are in our environment. It's so human. Well, but also there's a service in that because how we react 
is an indicator for us of where we're at, right? So yeah. that's, you've got resonance and dissonance. So resonance, sorry. And within resonance, you've got consonance and dissonance. Gotcha. And really all that means is that we either like an experience we're having or we don't, <laughs> right? And, so everything's and, resonating. Everything's you resonating. You have two things. The moment yeah. you have two carriers, there's a resonance pattern. Yeah. And whether yeah. or not you think that's rock or like noise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we learn, we can learn about both ourselves and the other person based on what we're able to notice that we're experiencing. That's it. Yeah. So that's that second tenant, energy waits to be noticed. As we notice, so we transform. Mm. It, it's sort of an inevitable phenomena that the noticing creates motion, a transition of some kind. I want to go back to that coffee shop analogy. So the patron walks up to the barista mm -hmm. and the barista was feeling particularly feisty that morning because something online got her really riled. Okay. And so she just didn't care. You know, she wasn't going to put up with anything. Okay. And her karma was that one time she treated someone else wrong in a certain instance and now she feels guilt over ah. that and so she's reactive in this online interaction because of how that plays into her personal field and so she brings that to work well the customer just had you know let's say his mother's been sick for Ever. And he just found out about some problem at work with someone who just can't get something right. And he feels like over and over again, it's just like, a, you know, one thing after another, these things can't go right. He's coming into this coffee shop. He's really holding on to whatever grudge he has against the people at work who yeah. are, he's not noticing that energy and becoming introspective about it. So he comes into this coffee shop bristly and angry, but repressed and just kind of like, I just need my coffee. Right. Yeah. Okay. Young woman who is feeling incensed online and man who's got the weight of the world of his shoulders and un undealt with anger are meeting. And suddenly you've got a C sharp and you've got a <laughs> C natural and they're playing together. Actually, it's more like a D, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, <laughs> So if, if, the moment they walk in the room, you hear this. So I'm there in the corner in the nice comfy chair going, you know, oh, this chair is comfy. And I'm like, you know, I'm still waking up and I love my coffee. And I hear come into the room. I'm like, well, what is that? That doesn't sound good. <laughs> you know? And so it's only a matter of time before, you know, those two notes are that dissonance. Yeah. Those two people don't like the way they're feeling in contrast, or maybe know, one person really to, does. They're, they're trying to get it out of their system. I think they're an argument, to, an argument yeah. is simply that. It's, it's to two expend the energy. Trying like, to expend that energy. Oh my yeah. God, could you believe that man? He just, you know, I already put foam in it. How much foam can I put in it? You know, and then there's just like expelling the energy. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? It's actually about that. It's not even about that online interaction. It's about the karma from the thing from childhood that you forgot about that she's playing out through this other thing. And now it's about, now she's going to talk all day with her friends about the guy in the foam, the sure. freaking foam, you know, and this guy maybe blew off yeah. some steam, felt really bad about it and came back to another interaction realizing that, Oh man, like maybe he felt embarrassed or guilt or, or whatever. Maybe he did, but whatever it's now at the door 
and they've moved on. And now part of that tone has impacted me and my mm-hmm. morning. And how do I respond to that? Do I go, wow, how interesting. Yeah, yeah, that was fascinating. Do I do the meme with Michael Jackson and the popcorn? You know, some people would just do the, have you seen that one where Michael no. Jackson's in the movie theater and he's got the thriller jacket on and he's just like eating popcorn, like, oh, this horror movie's going to be great. You know, uh. that's some people's reaction to dissonant energy is like, whoa, cool. You know, I just saw something really funny. It really is super personal on how we respond to what's out there. You know, someone who like me is triggered by conflict is going to feel like the co-resonance of internally, oh man, this is unsafe. I feel threatened. I yeah. need to leave. You know, I, I don't know why, but I can't, I can't calm down. And maybe it wasn't even like a, there was nobody was no, no fists were going to fly, you know, it was just words. And they, they right. maybe, you know, even if the other people feel better now, cause they, like you said, sometimes that energy just needs a place to go. That's why all kinds of music has its place. Sometimes you just got to listen to loud, aggressive mm. metal music to just like, ah, okay. Yeah. All right. You know, there's other times where that's not helpful, you know, and, but yeah, like I, I really do think that that's. <laughs> Just a quick break. If you want to subscribe to our mailing list and keep in touch, you can join us on Substack, languageofcreativity.substack.com. Now back to the language of creativity. Um, anyway, but yeah, um, co-resonance. <sighs> so wow, I, I got I worked wanna, up just giving you that example. I know. So I, <laughs> I've got two questions for you. The first one is what was it that f- made you feel like you wanted to play that small segment at the very beginning? So that's a question, mm-hmm. right? What was it about that? that was speaking to you, that was touching something in your awareness or in your senses. And then the other is our conversation. I'm thinking of the fact that this podcast is called The Language of Creativity. And I'm wondering how to really open the door on that aspect of our having a conversation like what is it about talking mm. us two talking together that could contribute to our understanding of the language of creativity i love that question because first of all you're a creativity teacher so that's amazing i feel like a lot of us who get into creativity are simply trying to vent that frustration in some way. Like when I got into music, it was because I had feelings that I couldn't express in words. So getting Mm. on a piano made me play with the tension between these notes. And that's what actually helped me to feel like there was some sort of release or catharsis. So originally for me, that was what it was. And then the idea of creativity really was the thing that tied together all these different facets of myself that I knew I was kind of multifaceted and love talking with these interesting conversations. And what I realized was that creativity can be applied to anyone or anything. And that as soon as I resonated with the identification of I am a creative, suddenly it wasn't hard to, you know, I didn't have to say, well, I'm a musician or I'm a producer or I'm a, you know, I like to, I'm a thinker, all these things. It's like that resonated with me and with everything that I wanted to share and everything that I think about. 
particularly when I heard your um, The Mountains Breathe, mm-hmm. I was listening through the links that you had sent me and I was driving and I started at the beginning and it just struck me that that moment where the wind starts and you mm. start to speak in that way that you said it doesn't have to make sense. It just makes sense. It's just feels yeah. true. <laughs> and I was like, this is the impartation that I want to give to the audience. I think to start okay. from this place of here's this topic that we may not understand of sound and healing and energy. Um, but let's approach it from a way where we can sort of like pick up the book from the middle. That's mm. one of my favorite things to do. I pick up books in the middle and I just go, mm. Oh, that like, you know, and I don't know how I turn to the page I do, but that's just something really interesting that I needed to know. And I can tell whether I like the book or not by starting just wherever it feels right. And that's then... how I decide on films. Uh, <laughs> so I'll listen to the soundtrack. If I'm starting to watch a film, I'll listen to the soundtrack. And within seconds, I know the caliber of the film and whether or not I'm going to enjoy it or want, yes. to, want to sit through it even. Yeah. And I think there's a sense of like in the poem that you read, there's a sense of scratching at the notes or the piano of the overtones that Mm. are the foundation of some of the deeper things that you're about and that you would talk about. Like you mentioned uh, social sustainability and things like that. Without even going into them, we're talking about all the underpinnings of them. And therefore, we're able to talk about them in a way that isn't going to create that deadlock that that's a really important thing to me is like, sometimes you just have to let the you have to acknowledge the energy. And, you know, the man doesn't mean to yell at the barista for the foam. Like, that's not right. his intent. That's just what happened. That's just the result of so, yeah. all of the things that were going on. Moments. Yeah. And so as humanity... Most of us don't mean to kill the planet. Most of us don't mean, like we would say, if you polled a hundred people, 95 of them would say, yeah, we should get off fossil fuels because it's destroying the earth. But why does that not translate into action? It's because there's, it's, there's so many other systems beyond the personal that are collectively affecting the outcome. And so we need to get honest about the causes and not try and vilify people who are acting out of an unconscious space because they're not going to suddenly become conscious of something just because someone's mad at them. That's going to make them go more unconscious. That's mm-hmm. going to make them go into like, well, I got to defend myself. And I, yeah. did you believe what they said? And let's think of ways to make them wrong. That's human nature. So I think for me, from a, a systems perspective, it's about mentioned this with Katie McBratney is the inner architecture when you're doing, when you're emerging as an artist, and this is why it's fun to go through the artist's way again, it's actually a soul growth process. And what I realized was that creativity and art and whatever it is that we are emerging as Mm -hmm. becoming as individual humans, it's our ability to start to express unique emergences of our own beingness. And that's things like art that actually help us to show that off in an objective way 
like fixed tangible way that someone else can see and perceive. So when you make those paintings of the energy, yeah. I'll put, if I can ask for your permission to use it, I'll put one of them of in course. the show notes. You know, this is what, this is the emotion implied in this two-dimensional thing yeah, with color yeah. and shapes it's implying motion it's also helping me to understand your perception and mm. so i think most artists are speaking a language where they're in whatever medium they're trying to use a language to help express something that's emerging from internal so if i am a person who's on the earth going through a life experience that is influenced by ancestry and karma and my society and how cool Right. Cause mm -hmm. I get to have an experience. I get to actually, it's like, you know, Shakespeare said all the world is a stage and we're all, the players. Yeah. well, yeah. today I get to be the chorus and you know, tomorrow I get to be Iago. And then the next day I get to be Othello. And then I get to see what it's like to be Desdemona. And in a sense, whether or not you believe in past lives, parallel lives, I mean, that's like what we're all doing collectively. We're all experiencing being in, you know, I've been the guy at the, counter with the foam and I've been the gal with the yeah. cell phone and the, you know, dead end job. I've been both of those people. And so for me to expand my awareness of mm. compassion by understanding that like, okay, so what I get to look at is, you know, because I only have agency over me, I get to look at my response to that whole interchange. And, you know, first, uh, the first step for me was giving myself permission when something was about to go down to go, okay, that's real. And I get to go if I want to. Like it is safer for me to listen to that part of myself. Yeah. And then as I mature and I deal with some of that like triggers and my own hurts and traumas and those things, then that's when I can start to gain some mastery over my ability to stay in that situation and maybe become a positive catalyst for the energy. You know, a minor second can sound really cool with a fifth. I love the minor intervals. Yeah. If you suddenly add the right jazz around something, it could actually be really cool and it could turn out to be this really great moment. And you wouldn't know that if you were just in that mode of, I don't like this dissonance. And ultimately that I don't like this mm. might turn into that changed my life. That was the defining moment that had to happen. And so I think that's what it is for me. And I think that's why I was really excited to talk to you because sound healing is yeah. one of the modalities that I have experienced in order to go on my own healing journey of reconnecting with myself, my body, my own perceptiveness about yeah. these energy interplays and patterns and and those things and and it's it's something that i i love to explore a little bit more with you let's talk about the mountains breathe for a minute can you it, yeah. was, where was that recorded so um a lot of the all the photography is from scotland and the wind is from scotland some of the water is from scotland um, and some of the islands north of Scotland, still Scotland, um, and then also west of Scotland. And I was staying up in Scotland for like four months or five months, and in fact was there that long because COVID started during that time. So I kind of got um, situated at Fintorn for a, a couple of months. I left the um, Orkney Islands very quickly. I'd been on them for like a month and a half or something. Um, but then everything was going to shut down. So I took mm. the last ferry the next day after hearing mm. that and um, went on to the mainland. 
and there I was able to be outdoors a lot because Findhorn, mm. the community, is, is situated right by the water mm. and there are ponies and walks mm. and stuff and, and people being social, mm. you know. It, it, was, it was a really extraordinary place to be able to be during that time. And no one really knew what we were doing yet. So mm-hmm. mask mandates weren't in place yet. So it, it was just kind of this weird yeah, nobody sort knew of suspended what, reality. Yeah, that we nobody were in. knew how contagious the yeah. virus was or how it spread or what preventive mm-hmm. measures worked. And <laughs> But the the that triadic chord of the vocals, that's something that I actually recorded kind of by accident years earlier. Um, there are two things in there that are from earlier. That chord is one, such a beautiful chord. It's so haunting. And I did I did that when I was doing final edits on a previous album called Sacred Water, which was mostly water recordings in the UK, and then me uh, doing vocals in and out mm. of that. Uh, water and a little bit of wind. It's hard to record wind. Um, yes. Yeah. So that was one. And I knew... When I recreated it, it's it's like I couldn't put it into sacred water because it was I was really finished with it, and it's like no, this has to wait, and so that got pulled in years later, mm. and then the other was the performance of a of a basically it was a song called the mount it's called mountains, and it goes I am the mountains, you you are the breeze. I am the forest, you, you are the trees. I see you running all around me, trying to get in. I feel your fingers on my body, but you cannot enter in. And it goes through all these different elements, but it's basically... Such a beautiful voice. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And it's just, it's just, I, I, I was... I, I remember where I was when that song came through. I was driving towards Ocean Beach in San Francisco alongside the park. Mm. And I was hearing these lyrics. And so I pulled over and just recorded them on my phone. And and it was just this whole whole piece. And it was the earth. A lot of what I sing is elemental and it's the earth coming mm. through me. And I just, uh, I grant permission, you know, mm. to be... To, the, to be that accomplice mm-hmm. in that process, you know, because I am the earth. Just uh, any, anyone is able to say that, you know. You're I'm a not, child of the earth. I am the you earth. You come from the earth. Yeah, yeah, I come from the earth. I am the earth. I return to the earth. Mm. So all of me is interwoven as planet, mm. e- experiencing, experiencing through my collaboration, my awareness of that. So, you know, human, human is just an aspect of earth, as is crow, as is wind, Mm. as are lizards or trees or dogs or any of the species, the billions of species that, that exist. We are kind of a cacophony of symphony uh, moving and interacting and weaving. And that on one level is energy, but on another level it's sound hmm. and it's vibration and it's influence. And we are so interwoven that everything does affect everything. And and you really cannot 
talk about that without mentioning quantum reality. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care if that upsets somebody. It's just really <laughs> stupid to try to talk about it. If you want to talk about it through through the language of science, you have to talk about quantum physics. Yeah. There's no other way. And things like we can even reflect on our physiology and our emotional selves through quantum terminology, such as entanglement. Yeah. So healing can't happen. Well, healing is indicated. The need for healing is indicated by entanglement. So if I'm running a story over and over and over and heating up my system, Mm. There is a form of entanglement, and that is why it doesn't matter if someone's alive or dead. If you have unfinished right. business, that is that entanglement crosses time and space. It is not mm. dependent on time. It is it's 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 experienced in space. Yeah. And so we by unlocking or at least noticing that entanglement and finding out what do I need? What did I need then? What do I need now? What mm. needs to be heard and seen? That's second tenant. Nothing, you know, energy waits yeah. to be noticed. By doing that, things can release themselves. We don't force uh, reconciliation and healing. We allow it by by becoming present to what is there to be noticed. Mm. So can it's you say a slightly different thing. I don't know if I can say it again. I mean, it comes out of my mouth, and <laughs> you know, it's recorded, so it's there. But our presence, you know, we talk about presence, but we don't really explain it. And I think presence is, although although it's a way of being, presence is, uh, a, is it's an act of noticing. So by noticing my planetness, by noticing how my heart feels when it aches and cries mm. for behaviors that deny and defy life. Hmm. That's my evidence of my interconnectedness. That's my evidence of being that which is being harmed as well as that who is doing the harm sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I believe you said that reconciliation is not something we make happen. It's something that you must allow. Yes. Yes. So like for years, I was angry with my father and I was angry with my mother for different reasons. And people, especially with my father, because he was still alive, people would say, oh, you've just got to forgive him. And I'm like, no, Mm. I can't. Mm. And um, it took me a long, long time. And that was my journey, you know, to understand the dynamics of relationship. And um, in the end, in that particular instance, I finally understood that the forgiveness, so I'm more about entanglement, of course, but then I actually understood that forgiveness is, is, and lots of humans confuse this. We think that if we forgive something, that we are condoning it or saying it was mm. okay. And in fact, um, the forgiveness piece is more about coming to terms. Now, how do I want to put this? It releases us. So when I forgave my father, I also had to forgive myself because there, uh, were, there are two people there. Yeah. And and the part of oneself that feels that we let down by allowing, allowing something right. to happen, even right. though that's not necessarily what we were doing, but we were part of something. Yeah. Right. There's always a mutuality. 
because everything is interdependent, interrelational. Yeah. So the part of us that's present at something that needs to be heard, loved, witnessed, you mm. know, cherished, really, and perhaps given the notice that we weren't being given at mm. a, at the time. So mm. sometimes, it, as, as bizarre as it sounds, we have to forgive ourselves for having had needs. Right. Right? Because if the needs weren't met, then we can be angry with ourselves for having the needs because it caused us suffering. Even if we're forgiving ourselves for something that we couldn't not need, you yeah. still have to, if there's a yeah. part of you that's angry with yourself, that is yes. the forgiveness. Yeah. 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 So, and then of course, if, if when it comes to real, really definable things like rape or incest or some kind of um, trackable abuse, that that kind of forgiveness is another whole scene too, because the body has different things that that run its experiencing, you yeah. know, and so there can be some very confusing experiences around some of that because of the pleasure that can occur despite the confusion or because of this idea that if something happened to us, we must have allowed it. Right. You know, and so it's so complicated. It's so complicated to have to navigate these sort of riptides of reality. That's a good way to put it. Mm. Riptides. Mm. Yeah, you get pulled down a stream and it's not your fault that you're in the riptide, but it's your life sustaining responsibility to know how to swim sideways out of the riptide. Otherwise, someone's yeah. going to have to come save you. And hopefully that person is there. And it's like, yeah, it's not your fault that you're in the riptide. Or maybe you could have avoided the riptide or you could sit there and if blame you yourself all known. day. If you, yeah, had, if you had known. known but you didn't. And you're in it. Right. And so here we go. Let's swim out of the riptide. Yeah. And that's a mad panic thing. Like the minute yeah. you're in a riptide, like I've been in riptides before I knew what they were. And it's terrifying because you really don't know how to get sea. out. Yeah, you don't know how to get out. Yeah. And the more you try, the more tired you become. Yeah. And it's really, it's it's terrifying, you know. So if you imagine the riptide experience in other scenarios when you're much younger, maybe you don't have anyone to reach out to, maybe you don't know you need to, that confusion can really suppress the experience and expression of joy because you're busy you're occupied, your system is occupied with management, managing an energy system that's really um, been imposed upon. And that's the kind of thing that we look at, by the way, again, in dynamic emergence, like some of our earlier childhood experiences from the perspective of energy. The whole thing is a study of energy because I'm energy having a human experience as yeah. well as consciousness having a human experience as well as planet, yeah. <laughs> you know, having a human experience. I'm so many things. As well as yeah. 80 billion cells having yeah. a human experience. 80 billion cells having a human experience. Some of them alive, some of them dead, yeah. like my hair and my yeah. fingernails, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, in a moment, I'd like for you to demonstrate sound healing techniques. We can play along at home. I would love for you to focus the intention on forgiveness. Mm. Yeah. Okay. 
So you'd like me to sing a little and play? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. And walk the audience at home through this because a I lot will. of people have never done this and they don't know what to expect. It always, sure. you know, from Daniel Tiger, it's first we're going to talk about what we're going to do before we do it. So if it's new, we feel a sense of safety around it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me that um, there's time and space to, to set a context, a container. So um, as... Uh, let me just give a tiny bit of information. I I have a really, really full of love relationship to music. And because of that, I then became fascinated so long ago in the nature of sound itself. And so I've taught courses on the nature of sound and the sounds of nature and, and how nature and sound show up in plant experiences and I'm not talking about psychedelics. I'm talking about the plant itself mm. having experiences and oh, how wow. they generate sound. Um, and that all of life, all the species, all the interconnectedness, there's a whole eco sound system that is life. So um, I was a singer-songwriter for many years, and then I became a sound healer. And the distinction for me, because there is healing in the songs that, that yes. I would do. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, but the sound element is where we're not, I'm not generating a, a narrative in the form of a story with words. Oh, okay. So it's it's purely the expression and the generating of sound itself. And so I do that with my voice. And uh, I typically do it with my shruti. The shruti is, it sounds a little like bagpipes or the accordion, hmm. depending on what, or the hurdy-gurdy, I suppose, but it's a little softer. We had a Del Ruba on Lobate Scarp. That's what you hear between tracks one and two. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm just going to play the Shruti and sing a little bit. And I'm not really going to tell you what you'll experience internally, but externally, you'll just hear that. You'll hear voice and the sound of the Shruti um, accompanying me. And I invite you to stop what you're doing. Don't be driving. You know what I mean? Be, be safe. And, um, and I'll just give you some sound. And we'll see what happens.
Now, the thing to do is just feel yourself in the space. Notice. Notice yourself as energy with no boundaries, no separation, fully, fully connected, part of, belonging, no time, just space. There is room, there is room for you as you are in all your potential, all of you that awaits to be noticed is available to you right now. There's no separation. You are the bees, you are the wind, you are the trees, you are the ants, the soil, the nutrients, the chemistry, the stars, everything, absolutely everything. You are the violence, you are the peace. You are in the flow. the frequencies. You have an impact. You matter. And you have the power to become now. Just with the magic of your mind and body. That was incredible. (laughs) (laughs) That that really, really opened me up. You are important, you matter, Mm. and you have the right to be here. You are creative, and there is something emerging from you that you get to bring to all of this. Yeah. And our healing is part of that journey. It's not instead of, it's part of the journey. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that happened is a part of who you are becoming and the Mm. healing from what happened is a part of who you're becoming. We often talk about healers are people who have experienced the wounds in such a way that we care about the healing and we've learned how to do the healing and we're able to share the healing. The reason mm-hmm. that we want to bring healing is because that healing was needed somehow in us as well. I'm just realizing that artists and healers have 
a lot in common. I haven't really yeah. thought about it like that before because I know artists, one of the things that kind of separates us, having said that we're not separate, but <laughs> but that's unique. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Something we practice actively is is going into unknown spaces, unknown territory, and and listening yeah. and then generating, co-creating. And yeah. healers do the same thing. So we we travel, we travel into unknown zones, what I call the numinous. Yeah. Right. And when we do that, by doing that, um, we are kind of the forerunners, really. We hold open the door. We look for the door. Yes. Right. And then we we travel through it before anyone's made a map. Yeah. The explorers. Yeah. Of the unconscious terrains. And the and the multidimensionality. Yeah. Right. So so much. You know, there's human consciousness. There's planetary consciousness. Uh, there's infinite consciousness. A story is a universe. The Harry Potter mm. universe exists and it impacts reality, even yes. if it's fiction. Yeah. And this is what artists have talked about for generations, you know, of letting these stories and these other realities yeah. influence our lives, which they do because we live our stories. And it's so true mm. that the artists in society are the forerunners. They're looking ahead. They're looking to where the change is going. They're looking at where the explosion points are, you know, yeah. they're in the middle of, you know, the, there's, there's a scene. There's, we and document. yeah, you're going to write about it. You're going to, you know, maybe it's the AIDS scene in the 80s and people you know is like this thing that the rest of the world doesn't know about, but you write music about your experience and your friend's experience and what's going on and the pressure of that situation and then that art goes out into the pop world and suddenly that's like the yeah. forerunner for the awareness of the entire exactly. movement and what's going on in the world and no human because we are paradoxically in that experience of the living you know as an mm -hmm. individual it in the collective no one human can experience consciously at all at once there are parts of the world i know nothing about but someone can write a song from that part of the world and they can i can feel the vibration of it and that experience in the ethos yes. of it before i even understand the lyric before yeah, i even educate absolutely. myself on what that song was about i didn't yeah. know what bloody sunday was about and no. you too, you right. know, that I had to go look that up, but this, the emotion, the feeling is translatable and it's, yeah. it created emotion movement in the society. And that was a forerunner as expressing that, that even the forgiveness and the catharsis or the need for forgiveness, the need for moving on, the tension of the not getting along and all the things that were yeah. needing change, the call for change, that is a forerunner as well. Yeah. And so as artists, we matter. That's the point. Yeah. As artists, we matter. And if you look at the, if you're just sitting in the burning building counting money, going, I'm an artist who's not making money. And so none of it matters. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe you should be singing, we didn't start the fire. 
But I think that's so a part of the lived experience as an artist is that feeling of like, I don't, no one's listening. And that's... That's why we have to share the art because it completes the circle. For me as an artist, that's really, really important. Otherwise that energy doesn't really get to travel. It doesn't get to land inside somebody else somehow. Mm -hmm. So that just, to me, I don't know if that should be or is true for every artist, but for me, it's important because I'm a communicator. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a fulfillment in that that feels important and right. A lot of times as forerunners, the ideas that you're working on aren't the whole world's not quite ready for them yet. So that doesn't mean you should stop. That means you should right. continue to incubate and communify yeah. in your own spaces that movement and those ideas and plant the seeds. And then sometimes, you know, a lot of artists don't see the result of their work for years later. But now we're all singing Bob Dylan like it's canon. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was absolutely wonderful, Claire. Thank you so much for joining us on the Language of Creativity podcast. Do you have any links to share? Um, yes, yes. And if you're on social media, can you let people know where to find you? Absolutely. Um, so firstly, it's been really a privilege to to hang out with you and to chat and explore all these Likewise. different things. So thank you for inviting me. And if you're listening, thank you for listening to the two of us meander through all these subjects. Um, so my name is my website. So it's clairehedin.com, C-L-A-R-E-H-E-D-I-N.com. But there's also dynamicemergence.net. So there are two websites. Um, people can, e they can do a search on YouTube, uh, everywhere really, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, um, and and they can, can find your new album. Oh gosh, thank you for reminding me to grief and yeah. praise. Grief and praise is is uh, a newly released late July newly released album, grief and praise, and it's a live sound healing, and it kind of has three parts, three journeys in it. And uh, I'd love for you to to buy it, listen to it, take the journey. Again, it's not one you can multitask with. If, if you really want to travel with it to other realms. So get good headphones or speakers and just kind of really just have an experience with it. Yeah. And that's on the Claire Hedin site, as is lots of other music, actually. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some of myself and my yes. journey as an experience as well. And for making the concepts so clear about energy and you know this is just the confluence of various voices singing yes. together they make yeah. a chord and i would love to chat with you again i would too yes i think we should do this more often <laughs> yes i think we should make this a thing yeah so, good i'm into it thanks for being my guest you can check out the language of creativity podcast wherever you get your podcast Please review us if you like this episode. Join us on Substack and YouTube and share it with your friends. We'll catch you next time on the Language of Creativity podcast.